Isaiah chapter 58, we'll be looking at verses 2 through 4, and then verse 6 through 14. 2 through 4 and 6 through 14, if you want to make a note. This is the word of the Lord. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And then in verse 6, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath the delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You may be seated and just take a few minutes to reflect on God's word. morning, we have the pleasure of hearing from our elder, Mark DeCosmaker. I don't know how many of you know Mark well. Um, Mark and I went through the same membership class a long time ago <laughs> at Christ Community, and he has been a dear friend and an encouragement and has been my elder for maybe, I mean, for the last five years at least since Sean and I were married. So he's a, a tremendous encourager. He totally has the gift of encouragement. So if you ever feel like your confidence is flagging or just something you feel like you're not making progress with the Lord, Mark will totally encourage you. So I'm looking forward to him uh, encouraging us this morning. Uh, Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for our elder, Mark, uh, that you have made him a shepherd over this flock. 
Lord, that you have put your words in his mouth and that, uh, Lord, even as he's encouraged us with your word and you have uh, helped shepherd us through him now, Lord, you are, are going to work through him as he preaches um, from your scripture. So pray that you would empower him and uh, give us ears to hear. Pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, I am uh, Mark the Cosmaker. I am one of the elders here at Christ Community Church. Um, as you can probably tell my, by my voice, if you know me, it's a little growly, so I'm kind of overcoming coming through a, a little bout with the flu. So at the end of the service, I won't be at the door shaking hands or anything because the thing that everybody always tells you when they have the flu is I'm not contagious right before they give you the flu. So I want to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, and the other thing I want to do is apologize for the fact that uh, Kermit the Frog will be giving you the sermon today. <laughs> All right. So last week, Sam preached a wonderful sermon on prayer. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, it's, it's, it's on the Christ Community website, and, and I, would, I would encourage you to do so. It's, it's, it's a really wonderful blessing. And uh, we're doing this as a two-part a series on the spiritual disciplines. And so this week, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting is kind of interesting in that it is probably the most misunderstood and most neglected of all the inward spiritual disciplines. Um, In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard J. Foster made a great point when he tells us that religious fasting does not in and of itself set us apart for God. It does not make us holy. But when properly done in faith, in accordance with Scripture... And for God's glory, it can bring us to a place where the Holy Spirit can work on us. God has ordained the spiritual disciplines for our life as a means of revealing himself to us and as a mechanism to prepare us so that we might receive a blessing from him. I think it's important for us to think about that and to let that settle on us. The spiritual disciplines are in and of themselves a blessing we receive from God. It's just not a means to see God more clearly and to receive a blessing. Because in that space, when we think about it that way, we can realize at what price these disciplines are given to us. Because we did not seek God. We did not desire to know God. The Bible tells us that we were enemies of God, but yet while we were sinners, God said his son to die on the cross for us so that we might be reconciled to him. And that Christ, having redeemed us with his blood, when he ascended, before he ascended, told the apostles that he would send a helper, a helper to help us. During our time, as we would seek to know him and to do his will and to see God more closely. So we have the Holy Spirit that is going to work with us and work through us as we practice the holy disciplines. Because Christ came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. And the way we get it more abundantly is by having a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. As we see God more clearly, we will have a greater desire for God. As we have a greater desire for God, we'll have a greater love for God. And as we have a greater love for God, we will seek to glorify him. 
and all that we do. So I wanted to start today's sermon by talking about a few things about fasting, because I think a lot of what happens, why we don't fast, why we don't understand fasting is because we don't really think about what it is and what makes it different. So what is it about the spiritual discipline of fasting that is different from the other inward disciplines such as prayer or meditation or the intent, deep study of God's word? I think in fasting, more than any other of the spiritual disciplines, we we get the ability to expose the hidden things in our heart, the idols that separate us from God and damage our fellowship with each other and with God. Sometimes it's the idols that we hide from the world. Sometimes it's the idols that we hide from ourselves. We disguise these desires, these passions with toys and amusements, with entertainment, with all types of distractions. But when we turn to fasting and we try to suppress the noise and the clean and the things of the world, these things are revealed to us. Mr. Foster puts it this way. If pride controls us, it'll be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they're within us, they'll surface during the fast. At first, we'll rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. But then we'll realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. But we can rejoice in that space, knowing that healing is available through the power of Christ. Fasting reminds us that we are not sustain, that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Food does not sustain us. God sustains us. In Christ, all things are held together. But too often we focus, the focus of fasting is on the lack of food or what we give up, what things we think we sacrifice. It needs to be instead on God. Fasting helps us gain a new perspective and a new renewed reliance on God. Therefore, in the experience of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. We need to see feasting, fasting as feasting. The second thing is, and I think uh, you'll hear different commentators speak about it, and they'll say, are we commanded to fast? And what I would tell you is, I think it is rightly said that there is no direct command to fast. There's no scriptural admonition that says, this is when you must fast. But since there are no biblical laws that command regular fasting, what we get is freedom in the gospel. It doesn't mean license. It doesn't mean opportunity. What it means is that we can fast whenever the Holy Spirit puts it on our spirit. Whenever there is a cause, a time of trouble, a, a time, a need, a yearning, and the Holy Spirit calls out to us, we can choose that time. We can choose that duration. 
I think also if we look in scripture, we'll find that there is at least a call to fast. When the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, why is it that we fast? And the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples don't fast. His answer was that the guests don't fast while the bridegroom is with them. But when the bridegroom is taken away, that will become the day of fast. So there is some sense in which he tells us after he's gone and he has sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, that there will be a time and it means for us to fast. Also, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus addressed fasting, he starts it with, and when you fast, which is clearly an implication that he thought the believers would fast. I think Martin Luther sums it up best when he says, it is not Christ's intention to reject or despise fasting. It was his intention to restore proper fasting. Which really brings us to today's passage. In today's passage, we see God sending the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. Because what they had done is they had taken the religious forms and they had made them the focus, not God. They had removed God from their worship and created religion. And that they were using the spiritual disciplines such as fasting in a way that God had never attended them. So today's sermon has essentially three basic points. The first one is how a counterfeit faith, where we reject grace and replace God with the things of man, leads us to the oppression of our neighbor. Point two, how an authentic faith, Accepting grace leads us to serve our neighbor. And point three, what the blessings of an authentic faith and a walk with Christ are. In chapter 58, verse 2, it says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They have, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God calls out to these people because they are lost in their sin. They have no understanding that they have turned away and rejected God, that they have rejected grace. And sometimes that can be confusing because when we're looking at them, what it's saying is they're doing all the things around what we would say are worship. They're going to the synagogue, they're praying, they're fasting, they're giving. But in truth, they have replaced the reality of a relationship with God with just the forms of religion. Instead of trusting in God's grace, they have chosen to create a works-based system where they have now been able to convince themselves of their own righteousness through works 
to such an extent that they can demand of God judgment, that they can demand of God the desires of their heart. How do they come to a place like that? I think we have to remember that when there is a decline of the inward reality of God, that they would cling to the only thing that's left, which is just the forms, the outward forms of religion. And, you know, we have seen throughout the Bible, and we even see it today in the world, that when you have religious forms devoid of spiritual power, what you get is legalism. What is you get a system that generates a sense of security in those who practice it because they can feel righteousness through their act. It's a mechanism that allows the practitioner to deem themselves justified before God. They don't need grace. They are now able to sit in judgment on their fellow man and of God. And that leads us to the outward working of that type of counterfeit faith. It leads to the oppression of your neighbor. In verse 2 it says, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. God gives us the ordinances of worship. He gives us the spiritual disciplines such as fasting And they're intended for the good of his people. They're meant to bring us into the abundance of God. To feel that richness in our lives. When God's people use religion to create a set of soul-killing laws, they place a yoke on themselves and everyone else. They use fasting as a mechanism to chain themselves And all those with whom they come in contact. They use it as a tool for manipulation and control and violence. That's what happens when the love of God is not in your life. But even worse than that, because they were God's people. Even worse than the self-delusion and their sense of abandonment was what that action did to their testimony. Because the unbelieving world desires that God's people look self-righteous, that they look immoral, that they look like hypocrites. So in doing these things, the nation of Israel ceased to be a light to the world, but beyond that, They helped perpetrate the darkness. That's a horrible place for the people of God to be. But in the next passage, we see God's grace. Because in our lives and in the lives of God's people, when we struggle, when we have obstacles that help us from feeling God near to us and our lives don't always reflect the true reality of our heart, God reaches out to us. 
And God had sent Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah to call his people back. So he gives them the example of what authentic faith is supposed to look like. He gives them the example of how they're supposed to be a light to the world. He says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. God is just calling them back to an authentic worship, to a God-centered worship. He's saying, if you would be a holy nation set apart for God, that has to be what the world sees because you cannot love God and not love your neighbor. You don't have the ability to choose to love God and be indifferent about the pain and the suffering around you. And this, but for this to be true, God's people have to realize that their righteousness is not found in religious forms. It's not found in a national identity. It is found only in God's grace and on the promise of the Messiah, Christ Jesus. When we genuinely believe that the inner transformation is God's work and God's work alone, that it is not of us, then the desire to judge others, the desire to manipulate others, to be superior to others, to dominate others by withholding mercy or forgiveness, they go away. Because we know that we are the recipient of an abundance of mercy and forgiveness and grace. I think in these matters we need to think about the words of the Apostle Paul. We deal not in the letter, but in the spirit. The letter of the law leads to the death of the soul. The spirit of God alone can give life to the soul. So then let's talk about what does that look like? What are the expectations that we see there? Well, as I looked at that, I looked and I, 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 I was saying, you know, most of what we see is outward. It's sharing very little about what God is calling his people to do is about them. Because the implication is, is if we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, then it is made manifest in how we treat our neighbor and how we care for others, how we reach out to those who are different from us, how we don't allow barriers to separate them from the love of God. And as I looked at that, I couldn't help but think of the passage in Matthew twenty-five thirty-four, where Jesus talks about the judgment. And he talks about the shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And I'd like to read that passage to you real quickly. It says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry 
and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and we gave you drink? When would we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I think when you combine that with what God is telling out to the nation of Israel, when you see those two things together, you see a really interesting amplification of God's word in that. Here they are in heaven. And God is giving them this blessing and this reward. And they're saying, I don't remember any of that. I don't remember caring for you in that way. Which tells us that they didn't do it for a reward. They're not remembering it. They didn't put it in their journal of ledgers of these are the things that God owes me. These were the outward workings of the Holy Spirit. This is the love of God made manifest in the life of a Christian. And that's how God intends us to spread his gospel every day as we live, as we walk, so that a dark world can look at you and say, there is something different about him. She's not normal like everybody else. That is the center of the testimony. That is the whole of the gospel as God would give it to us. It is our life. Which brings us to the final section, which is the blessings. And I would like to just thank Sam for really helping me in this section. Because one of the things I shared with him when he helped me prepare was that I had thrown away many, many drafts of this sermon. And the big problem I kept having is as I worked through it and worked through it, I said, I'm struggling with finding the joy because a life given to the service of God is a joy. It's not a sacrifice. Fasting is not a sacrifice. But where is the joy? And oddly enough, the joy I found in the blessing. But not because it's a blessing. It's because we receive the blessings in Christ. So... Let me cover verses 8 and 14. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of of the Lord has spoken. In these two passages, I found eight specific blessings. Your light will break forth like the dawn. The first blessing we receive is that we are allowed to be the light of Christ in a dark world. God has the ability to make his glory manifest in any way he chooses, but he chooses the believer. Is the primary method 
to allow the Holy Spirit to work. I think sometimes we forget what a great blessing and honor that is that God uses us that way. But it truly is. The second one is your healing shall spring up speedily. I think it's interesting that our healing comes after the blessing we receive for being a light to the world, for loving our neighbor. But the second thing is that our healing comes through our service. In Christ, we are made whole. The third one is your righteousness shall go before you. The third blessing is the fact that our righteousness is in Christ. Christ is our righteousness and he goes before us. He is here on the earth through his help or the Holy Spirit to walk with us. But he is also in heaven interceding for us day and night. In Christ, we are redeemed and made righteous. Our fourth blessing is the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God himself is our protector. We can trust in that protection. In Christ, we have the assurance of safety and peace. I think it's worth noting that if you couple the blessings in three and four, that you think of us as having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christ before us and God behind us. As we walk this earth, as we serve God, we have the fullness of the Godhead with us. The fifth blessing is, then you shall take your delight in the Lord. The fifth blessing is that our delight is in the Lord. When we set our heart on God, he becomes the thing that brings us joy. Christ is our joy. The sixth blessing is, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. God lifts us up. In Jesus, we are heirs and co-heirs in Christ. We are rulers. In Christ, we have power. We have the power to go forward and be a light into a dark world. We have the power to love our fellow man, even when he may not be as lovable as we would like. The seventh blessing is, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. What is the heritage of Jacob the father? It's the Messiah. So Jesus, the bread of life, is our heritage. In Christ we have life. And the final blessing is assurance. For it says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thus saith the Lord. Because in the end, that's what our whole faith is based on. That we believe God is who he says he is. And that he will do what he says he will do. So let us remember, fasting is not something that we do for God. But a blessing we receive from God. That fasting like all the spiritual disciplines, should lead to discipleship. The fasting is feasting. 
And that any pleasure that we deny ourselves pales in significance to the glorious bounty of blessings that God seeks to pour out for us. When we seek him humbly, in faith, in accordance with scripture, and with no desire other than to glorify God. So if you choose to fast, remember not to set your eyes on the things of the world, but to keep them rigidly fixed on Christ. Because Christ is our peace, he is our power, he is our righteousness, he is our joy, he is the light, he is the light of the world, and he is our love. Which is why we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And in that space, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is how we can form our lives in the image of Christ. That is how we shine the light of Christ into a dark world. And beloved... That is a life of discipleship. That is the calling of God's church and the calling of every member of God's church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your graciousness unto us. We thank you for your son who took on human flesh, who walked a perfect life and went to the cross to redeem us. We thank you for our helper, the Holy Spirit, who guides us each day as we strive to walk rightly in your path. We ask that you would be with us this day and every day. You would encourage us. You would prod us. You would lift us up. You would help us to be a light for you, knowing that every day that we may come in contact with someone and that we might be the only light of Christ that they would see that day. Let us be different. Let our lives be a gospel and a testimony for you. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.